Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to a very bizarre and unscheduled previously episode of the Spiro Avenue Show. So a lot is going on. I remember a few years ago I did a an episode entitled East Lansing is Burning, and it was right after the Luke Fickle fallout, and we didn't know where we were going to turn with the Michigan State coaching search. And that was, I would say, one of the darker couple of days at Michigan State in terms of the athletic program. I don't think we're there, and Michigan State certainly recovered from that in quick order. But this is kind of a weird day. It's a day that has not been characterized as a good day by virtually anybody, and it's a lot to get into. So this really started with Justin Thind breaking the news, as he's wont to do, of two guys, two critical figures in this program, Peyton Thorne and Keon Coleman, hitting that transfer portal exit. So when he finished his soccer game and, you know, his engineering stuff or whatever he, <laughs> else he does in his day, I said, Justin, I need you in here. Make some sense of this. Justin, what's, what's going on here? I mean, let's just start there. Like, what, what happened here? Because most of us seem blindsided by this. Yeah, I was, um, <clears throat> myself was kind of blindsided a little bit as well, um, up until probably yesterday. Um, I had heard going back, I want to say three weeks or so, that Auburn was kind of poking around with Peyton Thorne. Surprised me for a couple reasons. Um, yeah, I think you can piece together why. And a um, couple days go by, a couple weeks go by, I don't really hear anything. Um, indications are that Peyton has kind of dismissed that a little bit, and that's not something to monitor. Then I hear um, for probably the third straight portal window that people are once again tampering with Keon Coleman. In the winter, Miami came after him heavy. Michigan State put that fire out relatively quickly. Um, I don't know the teams in the portal window before that. So this was the third time, though. That was what I knew. That was the first time that I heard about Keon this window. Um, I don't know if I specified, but this was yesterday. Um, so then I'm kind of thinking, okay, Keon, I believe. This is something that is going to be a persistent issue. And then I dig more and more into it. And I'm hearing, okay, this time it's not NIL. I'm sure he's going to get NIL. And that's going to be part of the component. It'd be naive to say NIL is not part of it. But I hear that this time it's from the dialogue that was out there from the draft community when Jaden Reed was um, kind of being talked about all of April and mock drafts and all that. I know Dane Brugler of The Athletic had said pretty much every time I heard him talk about wide receivers, um, when they asked him, hey, who are some day two or day three wide receivers, uh, Dane? He'd say, oh, Jaden Reed's so underrated. Uh, quarterback play held him back. I think he'll go round three, but he should go round two. Packers fortunately saw that. But um, yeah, that was the dialogue there. Lancer line of NFL Network said the same. Fran Duffy. Um, tons of people basically were echoing the same sentiment of Jaden Reed was, holding, was held back by Peyton Thorne. Turns out two schools down south also were going to go ahead and weaponize this. And this was starting to be put into Keon's head of, okay, if you stay there and he wins the starting job, you're going to be at risk of getting your stock tanked. And, and keep in mind, this was happening over the last two, three weeks, even though I only found out about it yesterday. 
And um, this was before Jaden Reed actually went in the second round. Um, but before that actually happened, the damage was mostly done. That's all he had thought about for weeks. And um, that was kind of where his head was leaning. So fast forward to, I guess, yesterday evening, Keon tells the coaches and a select, very select group of, of teammates on the team. Um, Peyton hears about this. Uh, I don't know if he was part of the select few directly told or if he heard it in, um, indirectly. But at this point, Peyton probably doesn't know kind of the nature of Keon's decision of why, why he's doing it. He just kind of sees it as, okay, Keon's leaving. Um, so I'm going to be without my best wide receiver this upcoming year. Noah Kim had a great spring game. Uh, Kate Hauser had a great first scrimmage. Um, Bruce Feldman, all these guys are tweeting how Noah Kim is, is up there in the quarterback battle. You combine the factor of him losing his best receiver with the fact that the quarterback battle is, is, is shaky. And he figures there's a school out there that already kind of wants me before I even enter. So let me put my name in the mix. Now you're thinking, and you're probably wondering, okay, well, if Peyton leaves, why doesn't Keon just come back? So by then, Keon had already told the teammates. He had, word had already gotten out. He had already um, asked the school to process the paperwork. And he just figured, you know, this is three straight times of people tampering. Let me actually enter and see what's out there. Um, so I guess that kind of leads you to think, okay, does he return possibly? I wouldn't put my money on that if that was offered as a bet by the Vegas markets. I will say that there would have been no shot of him returning if he entered had Thorne also not entered. Um, so it went from a zero chance to a non-zero chance. How much? Depends on who you ask. Um, because now the way I look at it is once you do open those floodgates and you allow yourself to get contact from everyone in the portal, not even just the teams that were brave enough to tamper, and you have a bidding war of 15, 20, 30 teams, eventually somebody out there is going to throw together an absurd number. And Michigan State has been able to match um, every single number so far that Keon's gotten. They probably might even be able to get close to the whatever magic number that ends up happening out there. Probably won't be able to match every single number out there. But then the other thought is always going to be in his mind of, okay, what is the quarterback situation going to be here? He did work out a lot with, with Kate and Hauser and I think a little bit with Noah Kim as well. So he would probably be comfortable with them as a option had this kind of been something where, or where Thorne kind of left back in the winter. And if his dad was still at Western, he was ended up there and he had all of spring camp to get settled into that idea. But that's still a lot of a wild card uh, of a dynamic there of you getting a new quarterback and all these schools, Jeff Levy at Oklahoma, and these guys are selling you on this and that. So I guess we'll see, but kind of ironic how that played out. Well, I mean, the, the supportive, you know, example of the players being blindsided by this was just the reaction. I mean, Ben, you threw together a couple of them and we can throw them up there. And I mean, th this was just a small sampling of what was out there, right. but it was a very selective group that he told originally. Yeah. I mean, you get a lot of like the, the, you know, relax and everything will be great. And, you know, we're brothers for life and all that stuff. But you had also like the sick and, you know, yeah. Brule saying the fuck, you know, and there was a lot of that, like, wait a minute, what the hell is this about reaction? So it did seem the blind side, a lot of them. Right. Uh, I mean, you, you said that you're not going to wager on Keon Coleman returning. It's not something you would bet on, but you said it would be 0% if Peyton Thorne had returned. And that's right. sort of my understanding from conversations as well. So what is the percent now? I mean, where are you at in the finality of this? 10%? Like 40? Is it, are we talking like long shot, sliver? What are we doing? I would have said that if Michigan State 
or I guess if Thorne had entered like three, four days before Keon kind of reached this final decision, which obviously probably wouldn't happen since Keon was a driving factor between that and the QB battle. Those are the two primary factors. So that really, really doesn't make sense. But theoretically, had Thorne entered three, four days ago and Michigan State had a long runway to convince him not to enter, at that point, I think they probably could have gotten him at maybe 50-50. Now that the floodgates have entered to the point where he's actually entered the portal, I'd probably say maybe like 25%. Oh, I mean, honestly, that's higher than I thought you were going to say. Like 25, you're kind of in the in the battle. So, I mean, is it, what does it come down to now? Cause is it going to come down to a NIL match? I mean, I've, yeah, I think it's going to be a combination of um, what kind of offensive uh, stability at quarterback, the other teams can sell them on and how much of a factor that will be between NIL and that itself. So let's just throw out random numbers. I have no idea if these are the valuations for a receiver, um, but let's say somebody offers him 800,000 and a great quarterback situation. Michigan State gets up there to like 700, 750. The quarterback situation is unknown. I think at that point, you're not going to say, oh, he left because of NIL. But it would be factually true that they got outbid in that case. But it would really come down to the offense right. more so than, than anything else. Do you, do you buy the, the whole thorn criticism? I mean, obviously, Keon did. I saw the same stuff you did in the reports. And Bruce Feldman had an anonymous coach that weighed in. Do you think that's a, a fair... Yes. criticism of thorn yes how did how did it manifest is it because he was missing him on slant routes he couldn't throw the deep ball like what was sort of missing from thorn's game that they wanted to see so it's um it, it, so first backtracking to when i started to kind of think this way um previewing the 2022 season so last august last july last june people kept saying like hey why can this team probably not win 10, 11 games again? Like, why are you predicting them to go nine and three, eight and four, which obviously didn't happen. But I said, because listen, K9 might have left. And I think that Broussard and Berger could come in and play at like 70% of his level, which probably also didn't happen. Um, but I said, I'm not so sure that Kate or that, um, that Peyton Thorne can play at a level that we are expecting him and taking him for granted at playing because if you look at select moments where Kenneth Walker was kind of held down by the other team's four-man front and the team did not have to load the box with seven, eight defenders, in those games, Nebraska, the first two, three quarters of the bowl game, um, I believe even the Indiana game, um, there, were, uh, there were games all throughout the season where when K-9 was held back, Thorne was erratic in his footwork. The composure was different than when teams were loading the box and he had one-on-one -on -one matchups all over the field in press man. Um, he was go slow going through his reads. He didn't go through the as many reads. So I saw all those things and I said, we shouldn't be taking for granted that Peyton Thorne is going to have another season like he did in 2021 entering 2022. And that's pretty much what happened. All, all of his games last year looked like that Nebraska game or that first two, three quarters of the Peach Bowl. And um, people like Dane Brugler and stuff, these guys that, that know more about film and more about ball than me, they're saying that he missed him on open throws. The timing was off. He put him in contested catch situations, even when he had separate, when the receiver had separation. So when, when fans see a jump ball and the, the camera pans to the jump ball, you don't see that, okay, Reed was four steps ahead when this ball was thrown and it turned into a jump ball. And Reed was amazing at them. So nobody really cared at the end of the day. But if you had all 22 footage or you're sitting in the box, a lot of the contested catches shouldn't even have been contested catches. So those are just little, little well, tidbits. Well, and I, you know, I mentioned on the spaces that our friend Brett had earlier, 
this evening. I, to me, I agree that the Keon thing is more consequential, but Peyton Thorne's more interesting. Yeah. Like I was just a little more surprised by it. The here's why. And, and Ben throw up the Matt Charbonneau tweet. So we're post spring game and the takeaway from many beat writers. And this was Charbonneau's angle as well was this. Basically, I, I say not to make grand declarations in the spring, but what the heck? Here's mine. Peyton Thorne is clearly the starter. It's like watching NFL preseason and he's the starter. So there's this like clear separation. And that was his interpretation. And what I was curious about is if you're going into this and, you know, I have it on pretty good authority. I think you do as well. They were told up front that this was going to be a quarterback competition. And it was open and, you know, have at it. We're still in that. There should be no surprises here. If the perception is by the beat reporters anyway, that this guy's the clear front runner. He knew going in, he was going to be in this competition. Why leave? Meaning Peyton Thorne. What, what's your take on that? Why do you think he left if he knew going in there's going to be a competition and he seems to be winning this competition? He's not, he was not winning the competition. Well, that's not what Charbonneau said. Yeah. So that's that, not what Graham Couch said. Yeah. So though that spring game, that, that, um, the, the scrimmage snaps in that spring game, yeah, they amounted to less than a third of all of these spring camp scrimmage snaps that took place. They had the scrimmage all three Saturdays. And that was the third one. That was the smallest one. And that was the only one that was seen by the public and opposing coaches. Therefore, calculated. Everything that was done that day was calculated. Now, for example, you know how Kate Hauser did not have a two-minute drill drive in that, in that scrimmage? Yeah, that was the reason right? most cited for the so disparity. The, so the second scrimmage, it was Noah Kim that didn't have one. Kate Hauser had one. Peyton Thorne had one. So they all got the same amount of work. Some was slanted towards what the public could see. Yeah. Some was slanted towards the private practices. Right. And um, yeah, it's that. But that was a mistake. I, I would argue that was a mistake by the coaching staff because, you know, all eyes are on the spring game and specifically this position battle. Right. And, you know, every component of that is going to be scrutinized to an incredibly high degree. And knowing that or certainly you should know that. Like, why are you having two guys do the two-minute drill and not the third Because those are the two that have game tape already. And that's been, that's been Tucker's MO since we got here is hiding the people that we don't know much about. <laughs> okay. And, you know, injuries, depth charts. But this was a predictable takeaway. I was there, but I was only kind of there. I'm there with my two older kids. Right. Like, even when I heard that, I was like, oh, maybe Hauser is in third place. But it turns out, and I, and I heard the same thing that you did. Like, that's not true. That wasn't reflective. And that doesn't mean Hauser is the starter. That doesn't mean Kim is the starter. I'm not no. saying that, that, that Thorne was out of it by any means. I probably would even grant you that he probably did have um, a, an edge on Hauser and a very slight edge on Kim. The thing is, though, that has nothing to do with what we saw in that scrimmage on Saturday. So I don't think the issue that I take with that stance is the observation itself. It's the weight of the observation coming from the scrimmage that accounted for less than a third of all spring scrimmage snaps and the only one where the coaching staff had reasons to be calculated because it was the only one that was public. So you, I first heard it from, from Brett and his spaces today. You've repeated it tonight that there's tampering going on, right? I mean, that's, is there any recourse to push back on that? And the other question would be, if this is tolerated, let's say there's not. And, and there's no recourse. There's nothing Michigan State can do. And they've been, had all these run at them, runs at their players via tampering. Why play by the rules? I mean, am I 
crazy? Like, wh- if the NCAA is not going to regulate this stuff, like, why are we are we going to be the lone sucker that's like playing by the rules here? I think everybody kind of um, I don't know why it is the case, but everyone kind of has an understanding that nobody's actually going to go out there and make any sort of um, issues. And I guess Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban was the rare oddity. But really, other than that, like everyone knows exactly who is tampering. And pretty much most of the time that you see it, it's that everybody knows. Like before Bear Alexander at Georgia transferred from Georgia to USC, I don't even have many sources at, at either of those programs. I knew that was happening three weeks before we entered the portal. Every college program knew that was happening. It's just the way that it works. So it's and nobody, nobody's Ugh. going out after anybody, and that's just how. It works. I don't want to be the one good guy, man. I don't know. It's pretty disheartening that this is you said like the third run that they made at. I would argue is our best player, but so what's your percentage on Thorn? I mean, my read on it is it's basically zero. Like he's gone. Is that yeah? Like I wouldn't see that there's any reason kind of to, to really go and fight for him. Maybe if Keon very early says he's not coming back and you're worried about going into, into fall camp with just two um, returning quarterbacks, maybe I guess at that point you can shift your focus and maybe try to see if you can really get him to come back. But I, I yeah, I kind of view it as kind of how you do, but I, I guess it's unpredictable to speak in certainties. So, I mean, let's say he is gone. Let's operate under that yeah. assumption and we're putting Keon at around 25%. My perception from my conversations, which are maybe not as you know bougie and cool and plugged <laughs> in as yours, granted, but my perception and takeaway is that Kane Hauser, again, in this hypothetical, Thorne doesn't come back, is the clear front runner for the starter over Kim. There's a lot of like divide. Kim seems to have a strong support in the fan base, but that means literally nothing. Everyone wanted Damian Terry back in the day. That meant nothing. What's your read on that? Assuming Thorne is gone. Those two guys in this competition, who's got the edge there? What's your take? So I know that um, Kayton Hauser decisively won the first scrimmage, but from everyone I've talked to that has seen all the scrimmages and the practices in between, they say that Noah Kim has looked really good. So that's why I try to kind of look at it as I don't know everything. Um, and as a result of that, the one tidbit that I know to be a concrete fact might be pointing towards Hauser, but former players, donors, people that are there all the time, they say that Noah Kim has consistently looked good too. So I hesitate to say that anyone is a front runner. The only thing I push back on is the fact that there was any sort of substantial takeaway from the spring game when assessing the quarterback battle. Yeah, but again, I will defend people for having those conclusions because, I mean, I wasn't definitive, but it certainly looked like that was sort of the timeshare. It was like Hauser was third and it was the other. No team. doubt. No doubt. Yeah, the observations so. were accurate. It's just people kind of sort of thought, why is that the case? Yeah. What well, is different about the scrimmage and the other two? You're asking for way too much nuance for people. Man. <laughs> that's not, that's not going to happen. So you're, I saw you were going at it with another former Spiro Avenue guest and another guy who shares our first name, Justin Rose in a somewhat cordial way. But you know, he's saying, look, this program's dead, like dead as we know it. He doesn't even want to hear your sunshine, lollipops and roses, like basically in a nice way. And his Justin Rose chuckles, happy, nice guy way. Like, shut up, Justin. Thin. Like, you know, you know, this I don't even want I don't want to be comforted, like pipe down kind of thing. He's in that camp. You're pushing back hard on that perception. And I'm using him as one example, but there is a lot of skies falling stuff there. What's your take on that? I, you, I know you don't agree with it. Like, why do you think this is maybe? 
not that big of a deal, not just Thorne, but more importantly, maybe Coleman. Why, why do you land there? Yeah, I think that if you look back at where Michigan State was <clears throat> in November or December, what was the dialogue around Peyton Thorne? What were, I guess maybe I shouldn't say dialogue because this was kind of maybe a minority, but I remember that when I was writing articles and I was saying that, hey, this isn't all Peyton Thorne's fault. There are some issues with kind of just health and, and things of that nature. And I, basically I was saying, let's take a nuanced look and say, Kayton Hauser as a true freshman probably shouldn't be forced into game action. We don't want to ruin his um, ability to um, trust the offensive line. We don't want him to be getting hit because at the time Thorne was getting pressured. I said part of it is that. So basically my stance was let's not put everything on the quarterback. All the comments in my articles on The Athletic and in my tweets were stop defending Thorne. He needs to be gone. He should join his dad at Western. So that was the dialogue the last time this team was playing football. And now suddenly that is viewed as, as some big loss. Even though every single time we've seen Noah Kim, he seems to be doing the same stuff he always does, making the throws, doing this and that. From everything we've heard, Kate Hauser's progressing as he should. Whoever wins that job, I don't see that as negative wins above replacement over Thorne. So when I see Thorne leaves, I'm thinking, okay, this is probably what most people wanted in the winter anyway. Coleman is different. There's no spin zoning Coleman. If you asked me, okay, why are you saying it's not a big deal, which I actually have never said that yet. I'm just think, thinking of it as if you lose an elite receiver and that is what makes your program dead, the program was dead to begin with. You should not be losing one receiver and have the skies falling. Otherwise, you have other issues. And let's talk about the loss of Keon a little bit. Easily the best receiver on the team. I think he's probably the best NFL prospect at receiver Michigan State has had in at least my time closely following the team. At the end of the day, though, I'll ask you this. If you look at this lineup right now and you subtract Peyton Thorne and Keon Coleman, and let's say that you take me for granted when I say there won't be a drop-off in quarterback play, maybe even an upgrade when you're plugging in Noah Kim or Kayton Hauser. Go, go with me on that. Now I tell you to replace Keon, who let's say is an A-plus receiver in this benchmarking that they find two portal receivers that are B or B plus. What are you saying that net loss or gain in terms of wins between losing Thorne and Coleman and adding two B or B plus receivers and maybe possibly upgrading at quarterback? What is your end result wins and losses takeaway in that scenario? I mean, if I'm rolling with the slight upgrade at quarterback and not a total yeah. wash, I think the whole thing kind of is a wash. Right. I mean, what, and the, the best way to look at this like if you're just a, a gambling guy, which I never would be, but if you if I were, let's mm -hmm. say, and you look at and it's the same thing for college and NFL. When a starting quarterback goes down, mm -hmm. depending on who the backup is and the quality of the starter, but the rough rule of thumb is six to seven point swing right. on the line. That's yeah. a massive swing mm -hmm. on the point spread. You can have a star receiver, even a star running back, a star D tackle, whatever, anything right. but quarterback be ruled out. It might move a point for a handful right. of players. I mean, I remember Randy Moss was one of the few guys in his prime that would move the line by like a point and a half. But that's like five guys in the NFL that can do that more than half a point. Right. So it's inconsequential. Right. On a long enough timeline, you know, maybe a game. Right. But in your hypothetical, even if I get a a four percent upgrade at quarterback, let's say zero. Let's let's say you get the same. Well, then I I think I'm worse. A hundred percent. Yeah. How much even worse with, is my question? 
well, this schedule sucks. Any, I mean, it's such a hard schedule anyway. Um, I the way I'm one game. I mean, that, I don't think exactly. any receivers like a wins above replacement of more than one. Right. I just as I mean, that's in the NFL. They're about point six, point seven, based on someone else's research that I did not verify. Wait, but that sounds about right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't say like Keon Coleman's worth, no matter how good he is, because right. just by nature of the position, yes. it's worth more than one win. And we're talking about adding two receivers that are a notch below him, but still pretty good. Yeah, I would still rather have like the one A plus. Oh, 100%. I'm just saying that it's not just minus key on no plus. I'm just saying it's it's still an equation. Yeah, but but 100%. But it's not just that, though. If you're the cynic here, it's what it represents or what it could be perceived to represent. So even if you're saying on the field right now, we're okay, we're you're taking it, I guess, for granted that multiple things, by the way, that the quarterback play won't drop off at all and that these multiple receivers are coming in that aren't here right now. So you're already kind of buying. The second thing is happening, though, by the way. Okay, well, that and it seems to be the indication. I know mm-hmm. there's some kid from Bama and like, you know, I don't follow this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and I'll get to that in a second. Right, right. But, but I think the cynical view is what does it represent that your starting quarterback just walked out the door and your best player just walked out the door? Like, what does that say about the state of the program? Maybe it's nothing. But that's where the cynics are coming out and saying it's not just, oh, you know, we'll offset the loss and the record wasn't going to be that great anyway, transition year. That's all fine. That's all separate. But what does it say when you lose those two guys within an hour of each other? What is it? What's the reflection on the overall state of the program? What's your response to that? My thing is I look at both of those departures in two very, very different ways. The key on one, I look at it as a bona fide loss, no spin zone. That is what it is. Losing Peyton Thorne, you think Wisconsin fans were mad when Graham Mertz left? Well, hold on a second, though, because I we already know that it's a loss, and you've conceded that in terms of Keon Coleman. I'm right. talking about does it say anything else bigger picture about the state of the program? We right, know right, it's right. a loss on the so, field. So my point was to to split it into two and say that when you say does it say anything. I'm saying let's be clear that that is okay, one of the throw Thorne out of there. right. Okay, what does the Keon Coleman loss say about the program? Because it's definitely nothing good. It's either eh, it doesn't say anything. It's not a referendum on anything. It's just in a vacuum, an isolated bad thing, right? Or it is indicative right. of something. Huh? Something's off here. That the best player by far, who's beloved by the fan base, this isn't a playing time issue. He was going to be the featured right. guy. Like that guy walked out the door with a school with deep pockets. Uh, 500,000 living alumni. Like, does that say anything big picture? I think that this is a loss where at Michigan State has finally crossed into a new territory that they had not experienced before. Jeremy Bernard, I guess, kind of, you could have said, could have been, most likely would have been a starter. But in terms of returning bona fide starters, since the portal began, this is Michigan State football's first loss. So, the way I look at it is what this says about the program is Michigan State is no longer exceptional or unique in bucking that trend of not have, losing anybody. And they have become like everybody else in that regard of finally having lost a starter, a bona fide starter. It's not a good thing. It's not something you just wash away, but it's not something that is unique or something that is groundbreaking or unprecedented that's happening here. Michigan State is now like everybody else, having been a victim to losing a player you do not want to lose to the portal who now is going to go somewhere else and probably do very well. And that's just what has happened in college football. Like I just said, Barry Alexander at Georgia just walked away. He was going to be their next Jordan Davis, their next Jalen Carter, right in the middle of their defense, guaranteed starter this year. So this is just happening in college football, and Michigan State is no longer exceptional. 
in that regard. And they have kind of become like everybody else and finally had this hit them. It's a little more unique in this situation, though, because it hasn't happened that often where it's the clear-cut best player. There's a few exceptions. Caleb right. Williams, but his coach left. That's that's an answer. It's Jordan Addison, who joined him. How often is a Lincoln Riley going to USC? So even the times that it has happened, there's some type of mitigation. I think this is the most drastic version in terms of what Michigan State fans have probably monitored. Um, so I, I do think you're right. This, this, is is, the, this is the worst example in the country that does not have like, a, oh, well, Lincoln Riley was his coach and right. point, like follow yeah. him. Like to me, I can't think of a worse example of like clear cut best player on a team. And there wasn't a huge asterisk of the coach left. Yeah. This I, is as bad as it gets. I would agree that this is as drastic as I can think of at least. Yeah. And um, but I would still say the quantity is one. Of, of this sort. So I don't think you can tie it to a cultural problem or, or unsettled locker rooms or anything like that. I guess that was the point I was trying to tie it back to. What's your read on the responses that were flooding in the past couple hours? Darius Snow had one. You know, we shared a couple of them up there. The relax and great things ahead. Brule had a thing, you know, after his initial reaction. You know, just stay tuned kind of stuff. It seems like the players, I don't know if they're hinting at some sort of domino response move, but they certainly seem to be rallying around each other. There's got to be a crazy group text thread with the players because they're kind of saying the same stuff. What's your early take on their response? This is going to definitely rally the troops and the leaders of that program, of which I will say that they didn't lose one today. The leaders that are there, they're going to use this as fuel. They're going to say, hey guys, one of your receivers left because he didn't think that the pieces around him were good enough. Um, your quarterback left because he didn't think the rest of the offense minus Keon is good enough, or he didn't want to compete with the other quarterbacks and thought that he deserved the job. That is going to be the tone that they are saying inside of their group text right now. That is the reason everyone is coming out there. The brulees and all these guys, Spencer Brown saying Noah Kim is the franchise. All of these kind of reactions is because they don't feel that this is a fair representation of what the program looks like, according to those two players, kind of looking at it as like, oh, we got to get out of here. And they take, they take offense to that. And like I said, of the guys that left, it, I don't want to kind of say it too bluntly, but they didn't lose one of the leaders of the team. How that, is that possible? I mean, Peyton, Peyton Thor's case, he was the captain and the quarterback. I'm Wait. telling you, they didn't, lose, they didn't lose a heart and soul leader of that team today. Okay, so Peyton Thorne was not a leader on that team? I don't want to go too far down this road. <laughs> but That's why we bring you here. <laughs> I can bring any blogger in here to talk and talk out of their ass and speculate. I'm bringing the guy in here. The, I get this feedback from the players, so yeah. that's why I don't want to regurgitate I gotcha. anything that, well, I'm that stays in the program. I, I'll, I mean, can, can you tell me after, and I can make everyone? I'll feel just put it like this, so that I'm not like I'm not acting like there's like some there's nothing like big or anything. I'm just saying like there are certain players that people gravitate towards: the Darius Snows, the yeah. Jacoby Winmans, the Kenneth Walkers that were there. Where if they were to leave the portal, people are like, man, I can't believe we just lost them from the locker room. So the people that left today, there's nothing. They were not bad teammates. They were not people that anyone's like, oh, thank goodness they're gone. Yeah. I'm just saying that this is not a punch, a punch to the gut from a leadership standpoint. That is that is how I should have articulated it to begin with. No, and that's a fair characterization. I didn't know where you were going with that. I, I, you know, God yeah, knows. I, I, it was too melodramatic. But, but this I, is the program is with history saying. with this stuff, the Connor Cook stuff, and why why is Connor Cook not a captain? And you right. know, 
yeah, the fan base like really cares about that kind of stuff. I mean, I always thought the cook stuff was a little overblown, but you know, here we are. So I don't know. See, I don't know what to make of this, but I do know from conversations I've had, there was a perception that Kate and Hauser, whom, you know, I'm just more privy to that kind of side of things. I don't really have uh, as much knowledge about the Kim side, but Kate and Hauser is aside from the talent, which is granted, a natural leader that was kind of feeling, what do I do in terms of seizing this leadership role when you have this entrenched QB1 who is a captain, who's leading the stretches at practice? I think from my conversations around him, I haven't spoken to him directly, that he felt sort of blocked from a leadership standpoint. Obviously, the, the playing time is a whole separate issue. He felt like he couldn't really step into the leadership role he wants to. And with Peyton Thorne having vacated, now that might be a little bit different. I don't know. Is that reflective of any conversation you've had where Kate Hauser sort of is this guy who's been lying in wait and we're going to see him step up and maybe be what even Peyton Thorne wasn't at that point in that standpoint? I don't have, I think you have more insight to, than me in that regard. I've never had any conversations uh, with Kate or anyone around him asking like, hey, does he feel held back leadership wise? I'll just say that that sounds about right compared to what you hear in, in sports. When there is somebody that likes to be a leader and that was a leader at high school and they come into a situation where there is a entrenched um, veteran in that spot, they, they don't feel like, hey, let me just come in and take the megaphone. Like, that would make sense. I would say that would be sense. It's a tough. Well, it's a tough spot for him, and we talked about it when he was on my show before his freshman year. Of like, okay, you get to a point where if the veteran is still here, right? How do I speak up and become that right. leader? Because it is. I mean, you can, anyone that's played like high school sports knows like it's tough to be you know the freshman or sophomore in high school on the football team or any sport and really seize a leadership role when there's juniors and seniors all over the place and they're already in those positions. So I, I buy the buzz that I heard on that. Okay. You know, in yeah. that regard, right. They not, not that anyone did anything wrong. It's, yeah. it's a natural byproduct of like, how am I going to step into this leadership right. role? And I think that'll be interesting to see going forward. And again, I'm sure, you know, it's the same thing for Kim as well. I just haven't had those same conversations, but I think Hauser by all accounts, you know, from his high school career, his right. reputation is this guy is a natural leader and he didn't really know how to navigate the situation. Right. The situation's open now, right? I heard, I, I not to cut you off, but I heard uh, from somebody that I talked to that um, has seen kind of more behind the scenes than I have in terms of practice scrimmages and stuff for the last few years. A quote that they told me was, the team just responds different when Noah Kim is out there. You combine that with the fact that Keon chose the whole offseason to work a ton with Kaiten Hauser. Those two guys are what a lot of people are gravitating towards, even while, while Peyton Thorne was here. So now that he is not here, I personally am excited to kind of see how those dynamics unfold of how these two guys now have the opportunity to even more naturally bring guys towards them. So what's the difference in remaining years of eligibility? Is it three for Hauser and one or two for Kim? I believe Noah Kim was the 2020 class, right? Well, yeah, but the, the COVID stuff right, 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 right. so much. It's yeah. like, I don't know. I can't even track this stuff anymore. So, yeah, Hauser but, definitely has more left. Yeah, so they're two years apart, but Kim has... Um, so Kim came in in 2020, so he has the COVID year. Right, so it's Whereas really a Hauser one Hauser came gap. after and he does not have the COVID right. year. So Kim has one more year of eligibility than he should. Hauser has a normal amount of eligibility. So couldn't I argue Ty goes to the younger guy? 
You could because he could be here longer. Like, how do you handicap the race right now? If you had to make a early uh, speculative guess, I know it's speculative. We just found out five seconds ago. I I wish I had insight of how that second scrimmage went and how all the practices went myself, because I've heard a lot of pro Kim chatter there. And like I said, the only direct insight that I can really say I fully believe is the one scrimmage where Kate Hauser won decisively. There's just too much unknown for me to kind of put my name to to that. I, I mean, I can't I can't believe there might be a couple of things I know that you don't. It's like the first time this has ever happened. So I'm glad it's being recorded. So <laughs> I, I can show my kids one day. There's MSU insider shit that I knew that maybe you didn't. Because that, that is a rare occasion. This may be the first time. Have you heard the buzz? I've heard it twice now. I'm starting to really buy it. And twice today. So twice in the last five hours. That Peyton Thorne. The reason he left, the final sort of nail in the coffin, was very similar to what I reported with Jeremy Bernard, where Jeremy Bernard went to Mel Tucker and said, look, if you guarantee me a starting position, I'll be back. You know, he wouldn't make that promise. He's gone. I heard Peyton Thorne effectively did the same thing in specific regards to portal receivers they're trying to bring in where these guys are asking questions right now. They're at other programs. Hey, they're looking at Michigan State. They want some assurances, these receivers in particular, of who the quarterback is, whomever. doesn't matter who. They want some certainty there. I was told that Peyton Thorne expressed this. Hey, if we want to get guys here, they're looking for some answers. I want to be the starter. Let's roll. Mel Tucker, just like Jeremy Bernard before him, would not do that, would not make that promise. And that was how we landed here today. Have you heard that or does that sound absurd to you? I haven't heard of that being tied to transfer receivers at all. Now, it would make sense that Thorne kind of as a last ditch would say, hey, can I get a guarantee here? So I'll stay. Otherwise, I'm out. I can I can definitely see that playing out in terms of likening it to Bernard. Bernard was one of those getting to go back home, back to Washington um, and also getting a great deal out of that as well. Um, Michigan State would have matched, but being back home is the tiebreaker in that regard. So um, that I guess he obviously wanted to be promised a guaranteed starting spot, but I don't know if he would have stayed either way, just because at Washington he'll probably after Rome. And um, yeah, I I think he has he has a good shot to maybe get in there as wide receiver three. But I think at the end of the day, being home was was big for him. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems maybe. I mean, uh, I guess depends who you believe. I I I was told there was a. A meeting with Tucker was basically like, I'm sure he's he wouldn't looking have left for those, without saying that. Yeah, he's looking for those assurances. Right, he didn't get sure. them. And, you know, and Tucker stuck to his guns with the meritocracy. And when I had, you know, Connor Hayward here with Kenneth Walker two years ago, mm-hmm. that was, you know, Connor was saying very plainly, like, yeah, compete to play, compete to stay. Right. Like, that's not whip service by Mel Tucker. That's the exact same shit they hear it in even more strict, harsher, direct terms within the, the walls of that building right. than, than we hear. So I think that's an interesting wrinkle where, and I believe, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if I would say I'm reporting that. I'm relaying conversations I had, and I'm inclined to believe them based on the nature of the conversations and the two people that I spoke right. with, that Peyton Thorne was I, I soliciting the same assurances that Jeremy, for, in a different context, this was specifically related to, I'm trying to get guys to come into the program to help, and they're looking for this reassurance of who the quarterback is i don't have that certainty and that was kind of his final straw that's what i was told i guess in the last couple of hours yeah. by two people okay I, I guess the way we can find out for sure is let's see what happens with the portal receivers in the next uh, week or so 
Who knows? I mean, I but it seems to be the indication that Michigan no, State's I, active yeah. in that regard. Right, right, right. No, I'm not saying that you're yeah. wrong that it didn't happen. And if we get receivers, yeah. that, that means it didn't happen. I'm just saying that Thorne, I don't think that that is, that is going to impact a lot of the interest here, even if that is exactly what he went and said to Mel Tucker. Okay, so what, let's get to the receivers really quick. And I don't, names, no names, whatever works. Are they adding a couple guys? Because the buzz is out there. You know I hate this stuff because it's too it's too confusing for me. It's not my forte. You know, it's not as complicated as putting a coffee lid on a cup, which is confounding for you. But uh, from earlier, but, <laughs> but uh, well, what's your what's your take on that? Like, is, is are we going to have sort of another shoe to drop in the coming days where we say, okay, these two BB plus receivers are coming? And what's your take on the buzz there? Yeah, I think they're still working. I think. Um... I, I know of some names, but this is the portal. Everything gets finicky. Um, they have kept their interest in those receivers under wraps because a lot of schools in the last couple of years have started tailing Michigan State's interest and then trying to hop in on those portal recruitments. Kenneth Walker and some of those guys, as, as you know why. Um, so I, I don't want to speak in certainties because in the portal, things can always go wrong. Chris Bogle, uh, when, when after he committed to Michigan State, Kentucky came after him with everything, almost went there. So like portal recruitments, anytime you think something is a done deal, it may not be. But yes, the plan is to add um, a couple guys from the portal. Um, they had made a ton of progress before this, and I don't see this derailing that in any way. So I, I think in the next, I don't, I don't have any idea on the timeline. Maybe Keon leaving accelerates getting those, those finalized. Maybe the kids are still going to do their due diligence. Basically, what happens is when the spring portal is is active, this whole time where um, from the 15th to the 30th today at midnight, where the kids are entering, the schools are not going all the way out across the country and zeroing in on guys because they want to see who's going to enter. And then they don't want to take somebody early before someone's really good. Kids know that. So they're not in a rush to commit somewhere else. So what a lot of these kids are going to do is now they're going to start to see, all right, these are all my options. Everyone's entered. The schools have decided who they want. Now I'm going to go ahead and start my narrowing down process. So we'll see what timelines everyone's on. But yeah, the plan is to get a couple guys and they have done a good job getting out in front of a couple guys. So, so when you were here a few months back, you know, we shared some of the quotes from at the time, your colleague, Ari Wasserman at the athletic, and he laid out a couple good arguments for like, look guys, sky's not falling in East Lansing. Here's all the reasons why I still think Mel Tucker is fine. And Ari Wasserman doesn't get two hoots in hell about Michigan State. So I think it's an inter interesting, objective, sort of outsider's perspective. And he's citing the recruiting being still a relative or at all-time high. And you effectively nodded and said you agreed with his conclusion that everything's fine in East Lansing. I'm curious now to revisit with what happened today. You've said the sky isn't falling. That's fair. We've covered that. Are you... 5% less confident in where this program is with this leadership now than you were when we spoke a couple months ago, unmoved, more confident somehow. What's your take? I think the key now is they have to show progress this upcoming season because what would derail some of the momentum and stuff recruiting wise is if schools can now go ahead and say that five and seven season was not just an anomaly. Um, here's another five and seven, four and eight season. So really 11 and two is an anomaly. If that happens, that is where you have to start worrying. That is where, like you said, Justin Rose, his, his stance was, oh, I think that the program's in bad shape because now you're looking at two straight losing seasons. I'm not so sure that that is a given. So basically what it comes down to is 
the answer to your question is going to come from what they do this upcoming season. And if they do not have a season where they rebound at least a little bit, I don't think kids are expecting them to get back to, to 10 wins, 10, 10 plus wins. But you have to show that last year was a stumble and now the air is pointing back up. If they do that, then no, I don't think a lot of that matters, especially because now from a recruiting standpoint, I kind of like the way that they have gone a more sustainable way. Um, people see it as a loss of momentum, but a lot of the momentum they're referring to were guys that didn't commit here. The David Hicks, the Terrence Greens, the Vic Burleys, the Ruben Owens. Sure, they don't have those guys visiting this year anymore, but they didn't land them last year anyway. The guys that they are, are getting on campus here, those kids are coming here and really, really wanting to play at Michigan State. And those guys are not that much different than the kids that actually committed here last year. So the loss of recruiting momentum, that part, I just see it as it's a loss of the star power of who is visiting, but those kids didn't actually commit here. So they got to win. They got to show that they can develop guys. And that's going to be what it comes down to. And then we will know is the train back on the tracks in terms of perception recruits his minds, or is it going to be negative recruiting momentum for coaches to say that was two years in a row now, 11 and two was the anomaly. So that's going to be the answer to our question here. Well, I, I understand that, oh, they weren't getting these guys anyway argument, but I was told at the time, not necessarily by you, but you know, sort of other people in your field was, oh, first step is to get in the room with those guys. First step is to start you know, getting visited by these guys. And that's sort of the building block. And then you move in advance towards actually signing some in theory. So it is some kind of a loss if you're not in these conversations. Anymore, I, I right? think I think they found out, though, that to go from step one to step two and step one is definitely getting on campus to go from step one to step two and actually landing them is to show that 11 and two was not an anomaly. And if they were to get those guys here again this year, they won't be able to show that still. So step one, again, will be, I guess now step one or step zero would be to go 11 and two again, then get those kids back on campus and then progress to step two of landing them. Getting, a, getting them again this year without having disproven the 11 and two's anomaly, this is the state of the program, without being able to show that it would have been all for naught again this year. So what's your take? Because this is what I was most curious about today after meditating on this and talking about it with our friend Brett. What's your take on the meritocracy thing here with Michigan State? Because I'm actually all for it and have been a big supporter of it. But I think you could argue the flip side is Jeremy Bernard, because he wasn't promised in my estimation and for my conversations, that's the reason he's not here, that hardline meritocracy stance. I was told that this quarterback competition, the whole meritocracy flesh out with these three guys, that's the reason why we saw two guys leave today in part. So I couldn't I argue in the age of entitlement and guarantees and promises mm -hmm. and backdoor and even front door offers yeah. of money that it might not be the best angle to have oh we're open competition until right. the week one like right. that can be counterproductive. So that's a good question, and I will cite specific examples of when it was good. You being able to get guys four stars going up against Michigan, Dylan Tatum, four stars like Jaden Mangum. You're able to get these guys because they're committing because of the meritocracy. So for everyone that you can name that is coming here because of the lack of kind of giving it to guys that you think should have it, that is why you're able to get some of these kids that believe you when you say you can play here as a freshman, you can play here as a sophomore, and now they're going to. So I think that is proof in the pudding that it works to get kids 
but some of the kids might leave because they think they're better than they are. And that's just what it is. The key is to get more kids because of your meritocracy, then you are losing. And I can get down with that. The argument sort of flip side would be not to completely throw out a meritocracy. Obviously, you're not going to have a bunch of guys that are better sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's kind of a given. Right. But to the extent that they're married to it and unwilling to make a decision I don't know a little bit earlier, why not? have a meritocracy but at the end of spring ball name your starting quarterback that's not not a meritocracy it's just you're awarding the ribbon a little earlier so at quarterback i don't think it would have been warranted because the separation is not as high but i think in the jeremy bernard case i think they probably would have but that goes back to my point of that wasn't really the root of the issue it was getting back home so i think if if that would have been would have been the deciding factor if bernard says this is the only thing that i want Going home is not a factor. Tell me that I am going to be the third receiver. I'm not going to put words in Mel's mouth. This is not something I've asked anybody. They might hate that. This is even something that I think they would do. But I I would have done it probably. And maybe they would have done it. But I just don't think that's what it came down to at the end of the day. Well, I, I, I disagree from my conversations. But let's say let's just say I'm right. And for the first time, I've trumped you on something. Let's just pretend. Okay. It's a reach for you. But <laughs> let's pretend that I got you on this one finally. I could very, very credibly argue that if you eschewed the straight hardline meritocracy that's dragging on and on and on, Jeremy Bernard is still here. And Keon Coleman is still here. If you say to Hauser or Kim, whatever, but let's say Hauser, this is your job inside track, whatever, you're our starter. But it's this uncertainty that opened the door for Keon Coleman to once again get engaged by other schools, tampering right. or not, but that's what happened. I could easily argue meritocracy is the reason why Jeremy Bernard and Keon Coleman are no longer here. And if you had made that promise to Jeremy Bernard, and declared Hauser the starter instead of having this dragged out. Well, I don't mean completely just give it to a guy, but where it's it's prolonged and dragging on and on and on, and we're going to take it to week one, you know, two days before kickoff. I could argue that bit them here. Now, whether you think there's going to be enough good to offset that, that's that's a fair argument. But too. what happens when you do that is the two quarterbacks that don't get that call of you're the starter even though the gap is definitely close enough that they deserve to extend the competition, those kids are going to go ahead and tell that to recruits when they're asking, what do you think about Michigan State? Yeah, and, that's fair. And if, um, if uh, Jeremy Bernard gets that wide receiver three job, wide receiver four would tell a kid, hey, don't come here. I was as good as him and I didn't even get a chance. And then your recruiting is not going to be able to get those. You're not going to get the next Jeremy Bernard then. So I think at the end of the day, the culture – of what the recruits always tell me when they hear from current players is, and and when the recruits tell me stuff off the record, they will say pretty much a lot of honest stuff because you know I will write it. Never has anyone said, when I was on my visit, I felt something wary about the culture of of, um, guys getting handed stuff and, and things of that nature. And I've had basketball recruits tell me that when they visited another school in the Big Ten, not a rival, but another school in the Big Ten, that, that one of the players told him that that's not how they do things there in terms of open. And then the kid said that I cut him off my list because of that. So the, the responses I'm seeing aside from, oh my God, the sky is falling is oh, I'm starting to sour on Tuck and I'm having questions about Tucker and Tucker better deliver or else. So there seems to be a perception that today and the events of today were a referendum in the negative about Mel Tucker, the coaching staff, the program at large. 
is there some element of fairness there? Is there something that Mel Tucker and the coaching staff isn't doing to retain guys that they could be doing within the NCAA guidelines? Is there something wanting there in your opinion? No, I think the amount of times that I've heard that someone tampered with one of their guys and they've successfully kept them, not even just the last two times they did it with Keon, but so many guys, especially some guys on the defensive side of the ball, they have done so. And even one of the other receivers that's still there, um, they've, they've succeeded in that regard so many times. And like I, I went back to, to saying earlier, yes, Keon was a very drastic loss, but again, the only bona fide surefire returning starter they've had lost so far. So I don't, I don't think they've had enough of those so far that they have kind of deserved to be questioned that they can't keep the guys. Well, let's revisit the timeline generally. And we're pretty much uh, nearing a wrap here because I think we covered it in detail. But like for next year, let's say, God forbid, and I think it's a tough schedule. I've read it's one of the objectively toughest schedules in the country. Let's say it's another five and seven or four and eight gulp rodeo. I mean, where's your head at with where this program is? Because I can give you the one mulligan. I don't know if I can give you the two. The 2020, I don't even count as a mulligan. That just basically doesn't count. Yeah, if, it weren't for the, if it weren't for the Michigan win, I would pretend that whole season never even happened. Right. But so I don't even count that as a mulligan. But this would be the second mulligan. I don't think Michigan State should have back-to-back consecutive mulligans. That's not really – we're kind of above that at this point. What's your right. take if this season goes off the rails? Yeah, I think if, if it's four and eight, five and seven again – especially since this time you can't blame it on being held back by a quarterback. Um, because at this point, it's a quarterback that you have gotten lots of years to develop and it's, it's a different guy. I think that would be concerning. I think um, in terms of what does that mean? That means the rebuild is probably just you've added two years to it for one bad season this year. Um, I think at the same time, I don't think they're, it's reasonable to expect them to get anywhere close to double-digit wins again. Because you actually now have guys that are starting here so young, especially the whole defensive backfield, depending on who they get in the portal. And they've already got Armorian Smith, who, who went public uh, on, on Thursday or Friday during the middle of the draft, unfortunately. Um, that was you have a kid. He was a redshirt freshman last year at Cincinnati. You're going to have a true sophomore, Dylan Tatum, a true sophomore, Jaden Mangum. Uh, possibly a redshirt freshman, Caleb Coley, now that Charles Brantley is also under the portal. I can talk about him at the end a little bit, too. Um, you have, um, really Marquis Lowry might be the only upperclassman playing in the entire secondary this year. So there are rightful lumps that those guys are going to take and it's going to make them better for the years after that. Putting those guys aside though, the rest of the program should be operating at a higher level. Um, so I think, yeah, they might give up 400 yards to Washington again, but the pass rush is good. The linebackers are good. O-line should be at least as where it was last year. Receivers will see running backs should be better than last year. Quarterback. I think it should be at or above from last year. So they shouldn't look too rough. The defensive backfield deserves some leeway, and they probably shouldn't go five and seven again. They got to get to a bowl game, and that's kind of where I would say that my expectations are. <laughs> that Indiana loss that yeah. prevent. I mean, that it really it was a bowl team. Like they, they had the Indiana game. Like that's I know like you can say that about a lot of teams, but that was the most like egregious. You have an extra point to win, and they, like a field going overtime. They like they had so many chances for like a. 98 proposition conversion and i mean it you know 
that's a, a kicker can sink you pretty quick, and we saw that. But and a long snapper too. That was a lot. That was the whole unit too. was was a mess there. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I Hank Pepper looks like he should be back in in, in full health. The the long good. snapper that was really good two years ago. Good. So. I mean, big picture, and I get like a lot of shit for this, but I still love this coaching staff and the vision for the program. And and I I'm kind of in the Mike Valeni camp of. Like, thank God we're actually trying to recruit nationally. Thank God we're trying to modernize the program. And, like, I'd rather go down trying to do that. Than, right. And I love D'Antonio. I'm, I'm with anyone that says put the statue up. But, like, he wasn't even trying at the end. I mean, we, we, when we had Connor Hayward here, like, it's the clips on YouTube. He said, I love Coach D. He was kind of, a, he didn't use the term burned out, but he could pull the clip up. Anyone that wants to look it up, it's out there. But basically saying D'Antonio was kind of, the energy, the juice was gone. I, so thank God. Like that, in that sense, I'm still all in. But you got to win some games. I got to see like seven, seven and five, eight and four this year. I don't think that's unreasonable. Eight Even and with four this, might be, but not unreasonable. I'm, but saying, it might be I'm saying higher end. Uh, like seven and five is kind of six and six is the basement. If they don't go to a bowl game again, we're going to get mean to death by the Michigan fan base. I mean, I, I got bigger problems, but <laughs> it's one problem on the list I don't want to have. So I don't know. My, my read is still, I still like this staff. I still like the direction of the program. I like what they're trying to do. Today wasn't a good day. I, I just, right. There's no way yeah. to navigate around that. There's right. no way to circumvent the truth there. Uh, I do have a bad. question, though. If, yeah. if today didn't happen all in one day, and... To, to my point of Keon is the only true loss that happens today. Let me ask you, if Keon doesn't enter the portal this window and Peyton enters in December and Charles Brantley enters three days ago, what are you saying of this offseason in terms of a portal perspective? I'm, I, it's kind of like the Band-Aid being ripped off. I kind of liked all of this shit happening at once, to be honest, because right. I think it would almost be perceived as, and I, it's probably the opposite of what you thought I would say, but... I, I actually think it is better to just rip the Band-Aid off and have this deluge going out the door. You keep saying, and it's the common perception, and I'm not even saying I disagree with you, but you keep saying definitively that the Peyton Thorne exit is maybe even a positive, at worst, you know, a lateral move. We don't know that. So here's, We have not seen these other two guys play. So here's the other thing of it, though. Thorne could be better. Let's say that Thorne is a little bit better. You will agree he wasn't a lot better than anyone else in the quarterback room, even if we haven't seen him play, correct? How how would I how okay. can I say that? Okay. I've seen you throw as many passes as I have Hauser, and Kim is garbage time. I mean, they, they might be Joe Montana. It's not a negative thing. I just don't know what okay. I haven't seen. So and neither do you. Fine. So that's fair. The, the the point I was gonna make is let's say that the team would have won one more game than they're going to win now had Thorne stayed. Even then, to me. This quarterback that's going to play is here for two, three more years. I would still have made that trade, even if you told me that Thorne was a little bit better than these two guys, for the long-term health of the program. Because let's say if they would have gone eight and four with um, Thorne, seven and five without Thorne, I'm taking that and playing those two younger, one of those two younger guys still, even if that, even if it is true that Thorne is somehow a little better than that. What if Thorne's a lot better? I will. Just I would say be. I don't I'd be surprised. That. I'd be surprised. Right. I, you know, I talked to guys on the team too. I'm just saying we don't know. I mean, everyone thought Keith Nickel was going to walk over Kirk Cousins for that quarterback job back in the day. Didn't happen. I it just we we just don't know. I and look, I'm not saying that Thorne is better. I'm saying I have no clue. I just the the absolute certainty that people say 
I now I've been known to be fair as a little bit of a thorn apologist. And for the record, Hauser's kind of my horse in the race. He's kind of like the guy that I'm I'm rooting for all of them, but I just happen to think has the best profile and I think is the best upside play. So with that said, Thorne does have the touchdown record at this school for individual season, does he not? Did he not produce pretty good numbers two years ago? Were his numbers that bad last year with all the things that were bad? Around to me, him? it's more of mechanics than stats. Well, I'm not saying stats are the end all be all, but you look at you look at this guy, and even if you get into more of his advanced stats, which I will put people to sleep if I start studying that shit. No, there's no reflection. There's nothing you can look at that says he, he was all world world beater. He's great, but he was above average nationally in the power, even in the power five. Like he, there's there's five quarterbacks in the conference that were worse. I, I just I'm not so sure that. This guy was so bad, and we're, we've moved on, and everything will be better. I think Keaton Hauser is a better football player, probably, just based on conversations I've had, their pedigree, the perceptions around them. But it's a leap of faith for anybody. You don't know, I don't know, and nobody out there Fair. knows. Not even the players know. Uh, game, game settings are different, man. This is true. We don't um, know what these guys are going to be. I like. would say Noah Kim plays better in game settings than practice, and and already the the, the thought it was seems that it seems that way. better, but yeah, um, but but I would say that's fair. But at this point, I think people should be ready to take that leap of faith, or I should speak for myself. I would be ready to take that leap of faith based on what I had seen from Peyton Thorne's mechanics over the last two years and the way the arrow was pointing. Fair, fair. And, and there's a little bit of devil's advocate, but I'm not just being contrarian. I do wonder, like, if, if there's going to be a clear upgrade, even if it's not massive, but it's clear and definitive, that's going to be a pretty damn impressive season statistically. I, mean, I, have to, I have to pull it up. What was Thorne last year? Like 17 and 10 picks or something? Like, it wasn't atrocious. I'd have to look it up. But, like, I mean, if you're going to be a lot better, clearly better than that, you're going to be back into, like, 2021 thorn territory statistically i just think it's a high bar to clear to be like clearly what an upgrade you think that's you think i'm i'm off the reservation on that one i just think that there were so many throws looking at it from the angle up top from from the box that even completed throws there were so many throws in the middle of the field where if he would have come off the first the first read there's a Daniel Barker running right down the middle on a seam against Wisconsin, one of Thorne's better games. There, there's just so many chances out there that you can say that the second the defense dropped more than basically any game where K-9 didn't go off. I know I'm kind of repeating myself. Anytime where K-9 didn't go off and they were playing a base defense because the D-line was able to control K-9, the mechanics were just, were just not there. The reads were not being gone through in the way that you need to, to pick apart big 10 defenses. And the footwork was completely different than when Thorne knew the second he's getting the ball, he's getting one-on-one matchups with Naylor and Reed in 2021. It was just different. That quarterback was not the quarterback that we were going to get again, unless K-9 was back there again, and teams were putting six, seven, eight guys in the box. All very fair. And those were criticisms that, I mean, every NFL scout on record, right. it seems to be in alignment with you. And, and let me give the counterpoint of why maybe Kim might not be great this year, because I don't want to just make it seem like I'm, I do believe that the gap is not big enough that we, people should be fretting about Thorne. But I also don't think that, oh, you plug in Kim, suddenly he's looks, he's looking so much better. Every time we have seen Kim in the spring game, 
And every time we have seen him in the um, garbage time games, defenses are playing, first of all, in low stakes situations, sometimes backups. And they are definitely playing, including the spring grant basic shell defense, so they're not giving anything away. Uh, and garbage time teams do that just because they don't want to overcomplicate things with guys that don't play a lot together. So it is very different circumstances than you will see him play in possibly this year if he wins the job. So he's not going to be able to lead a touchdown drive every single time he goes on the field, like pretty much every time we watch him play football. So I do expect that to go down a little bit. Um, so I just want to put that disclaimer out there. I just still think that the leap of faith is just so worth it to then to see what we saw last year again. What happens to the loser of the two-man race now? I don't know. Does he stick around? I mean, I know he can't leave now because the deadline's what, in like 10 minutes? Oh, yeah. And like, I also don't think they would, that, that person would leave regardless uh, because of the fact that the second there's a sprained ankle or a pulled hamstring, that person's playing again. So I don't expect the loser to leave uh, in the next uh, several months until at least the winner at all. But like long term, I don't know, because both of these guys have a lot of eligibility, whoever wins. I will say, and we touched on it earlier, and I'll finish here. I have not seen this team this galvanized, mm-hmm. like ever, mm-hmm. like even in the 11-win season. It, it's a weird, you know, I'm a big Bill Simmons guy. He talks about, he, he came up with the Patrick Ewing theory, called the Ewing theory, how the Knicks would play better when Patrick Ewing wasn't playing. He'd be hurt or, you know, taking a day off or whatever. And everyone else felt like they had to step up and like they, they actually played better without their star sometimes. I think there's a component of that potentially here where especially if they're bringing in enough talent, you said B receivers or whatever, you got to have some talented guys out there. I just, this, this team seems as unified as ever. Like, I think mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a, a kind of fuck you edge to them. Mm-hmm. I think this could in a weird way be galvanizing and a good thing from a sort of mental approach standpoint, if nothing else, where this is galvanizing. They're like, look at what these guys are saying. They mm-hmm. are kind of a little chapped. Is that right. a fair conclusion? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Don't, don't have much to even add there. I think that's as well said as, as I could have. Yeah, I, I just, I, I feel that's the argument for like, all right, like let's roll. Right. I, I am as behind these guys as ever. I, right. I think this quarterback thing got a lot more fascinating because Peyton Thorne, we already know what he looks like. Mm-hmm. This is a level of intrigue we haven't seen. Yeah. Anything else to add? Yes. Has your text come through? Any breaking news? Where are we at? Uh, no, the only thing that I want to add, just so people don't think this is recorded before Brantley even entered the portal, um, Charles Brantley, cornerback, I think rising true junior, uh, he also entered the portal several hours after the other guys. Um, this is something that I would qualify as a loss in terms of somebody you would rather have on your team than not have on your team this season. Um what I was thinking inside, I don't think I ever posted this anywhere, but my hope was after the last season ended, if Brantley does not gain weight and continue to get kind of um, harder to move off the ball, my hope was that somebody else would be able to replace him in the spring camp this year. From what I have heard, um, any combination of really Caleb Coley, Dylan Tatum, Malcolm Jones, Marky Lowry, all of those guys had pretty much pulled even. A couple of those guys had, had started to eat into his first team reps. So um, doesn't fall in that bona fide returning starter category, but I think you want somebody with his experience in the two deep. Um, I think it's overblown um, how, I guess, valuable he was in terms of, I know he had the Michigan interception, but uh, Maxwell uh, Klitsky, I believe, he posted the stats that I think uh, Chuck was targeted about 90 times. He gave up about 66 catches for 700 yards and nine touchdowns or something. 
So it's important to keep perspective on, I guess, how valuable the player was. At the same time, I do think that you rather have him in your two deep than not. And that's just my sentiments on Charles Brantley there. I, I just like the kid. I mean, he, he's, he's right. aces forever with me. Yeah. I mean, you know, he occasionally watches this show, so hopefully he's not offended by you know, <laughs> citing the staff. I don't but. think today is the day that he would like to watch the show. There's a <laughs> giant picture of him in the bathroom, which, you know, I got to play. Yeah, I was told it was a little brother move to have a, a Michigan State interception on the wall. So, mm. you know, I, I can't follow these rules. I mean, all these people that went to, you know, these random schools I've never even heard of in some cases telling me what I can and cannot do in regards <laughs> to the rivalry. So that's always a hoot, man. Did you win your soccer game? No, lost. You, you lost. lost. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a lost day for Spartans yeah. everywhere, man. You can't yeah. even win your soccer game. No. Well, no. if you had had me out there, it would have been a bigger deficit in that loss. So we're going <laughs> to from that perspective. Justin, appreciate you, man. I know it's crazy for you. You got to go split some atoms tomorrow, whatever you do <laughs> at, at, at your job, and we're going to get to it. But appreciate you. I am working on Mr. Hauser right now coming mm. back in studio. You might want to tag along for that one, sir. That'll what be a think? good episode. Uh, well, I'm kind of, I, yeah, I, I talked to him today. Mm-hmm. He's in, mm. but just working out the date, working right. out something logistically. So I cannot announce a date for the Kate Hauser appearance, mm-hmm. but Kate Hauser potentially QB one might be coming in. Do I have him in here with Kim or do I try to have that two separate episodes? <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be an editorial decision. Ben and I have to get our heads together and discuss, but I want to have both guys in here separate or together, but Keaton Hauser, hopefully next week. Okay. Very soon. It sounds like from my conversation with him, I'm looking forward to to having him back. One of the nicest guys that have ever come through here. For sure. I can't wait to pick his brain on on all the events of today and going forward. Appreciate you, man. As always. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. Anytime. Justin Thin. Love you, man. Great work as always. Justin Spiro, Spiro Avenue show. Ben on the other side of the wall. Eric back at home. What the hell is going on in East Lansing? Well, we just kind of told you. Sky's not falling. Go green. We got this.